Matthew 27 that Marilyn just read for us, when you think about it, it's so violent, really. And the violence starts with Simon of Cyrene being forced to carry the cross. That was part of what Rome did to suppress occupied peoples. They could force anyone to carry a burden for them for one mile. And poor Simon, who is from current-day Libya, a North African, is probably just in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and he's forced to carry this instrument of death. It is an act of violence, of political suppression by the Romans. There's the cross itself a violence that's hard for us to fully comprehend. And then there's the violence of the, of the jeers and, and the taunts of the crowd uh, attempting to prick at what they perceive to be the things Jesus would be most sensitive about. We human beings are so good at hurting each other with our world words. It is such a violent scene. It's interesting then when you think about it that ultimately for most of us as Christians, the cross is this reminder of unconditional love, God's embrace of us. But we do well to not forget that the cross is also a symbol of, of real violence and we live in a really violent world. And I think that's, that's kind of a hard thing for a lot of us, for me included. Most of us are really fortunate not to have experienced most of that violence in our world, um, but there's violence in families, and there's violence of hunger and poverty and of war, and, and almost every culture in the world is violent towards the minorities that live in the midst. We just live in a really violent world, and I think our fortunate uh, distance from it also causes us to sometimes deny it's there and to be unaware of how it spreads and, and how it lingers from generation to generation. And therefore, perhaps it's true that we add to it by our own unawareness of it. We live in a violent, sinful world. Beyond the cross, there's another symbol of today, though, that I think is, is violent also. It is, of all things, the temple curtain that gets torn in two at the moment of Jesus' death. Uh, remember, the temple, uh, as it was first constructed, was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. And then beginning in around 40 B.C., uh, Herod the Great, the, the Roman-installed uh, vassal king uh, in the area of Israel, begins to build the temple as a favor to the Jewish people. At some level, I use the word favor in air quotes there because, because Herod uh, was horrifically violent towards the Jewish people and the other occupied territories that he oversaw. Uh, it was a, a big favor to rebuild their temple for them. The, the thing is, he wanted to build it bigger and better than the one the Babylonians had destroyed. Uh, and so in that one, the, the veil was probably 40 feet long. He builds one where the veil is 60 feet high. Uh, pretty much to aggrandize his, his own ego. Uh, but uh, the other thing about Herod building the temple, and this is where the violence comes in, is, is long before 
before the, the temple gets rebuilt, there was plenty in Judaism that, that questioned whether God really wanted sacrifices like those that went on in the temple. And there was even more in Judaism that questioned whether there, there could be a place, a building that somehow contains God. In fact, I think the majority of Judaism would say no, that ours is a personal God who lives in and among us. Uh, nevertheless, the temple was built with this holy of holies, a place thought to contain the presence of God into which the high priest entered one day a year to make atonement for all the people. So Herod, at some level, gave the people the veil and the temple and the holy of holies, whether they wanted it or not, which is pretty much how Herod handled everything. A barrier, one more aspect of violence in our story. Are there any good barriers in life? Uh, of course there are. It's probably a good thing to have doors on the operating room. Uh, it, it's probably a good thing to keep people away from the launch pad during blast off. Actually, if you've seen films of SpaceX trying to re-land their rockets, it's probably good to have no one near the launch pad when it's landing either. And uh, in retrospect, it's probably a really good thing to have sneeze guards on the buffet at the restaurant. There are certainly some barriers that are good in life. How do you tell the difference between good ones and violent ones? The good ones do what? They protect us and others physically. They also respect the dignity of others. Barriers can do that sometimes. But barriers that don't respect dignity, barriers that create violence of spirit or substance towards others, uh, there are plenty of those in our world, and those do us no good. And, and so often, they're the very things that we construct to prevent ourselves from facing challenge or change. And, and, and so we, we love some of the barriers that we build. But they, too, are a part of sin. They, too, are vanquished, ultimately, by this cross. This is such a, such a tactile day, don't you think? Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. When you think of them together, they, they almost overwhelm our senses. The, the, the taste of the meal on Monday, Thursday, the smells of sweat and blood at the cross. In our imagination, um, whatever pain you felt in life, multiplying that by some factor so somehow you imagine what crucifixion would have felt like. Uh, our senses almost get overwhelmed by this day, the darkness that our eyes would behold. But you should also hear on this day. You should hear that temple veil, and you should hear its destruction because in its ripping, we are reminded that ours is a God who is not in fairy favor of barriers that hurt and reduce human dignity. And most of all, ours is a God who embraces us, draws close to us, never allows us to be alone. That temple veil on Good Friday, it was torn for good. Done.